Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, President of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoyed the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. Bible, I invite you to open with me to Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 8, and we're going to consider verses 26 to verse 40. It's always a privilege and honor to uh, preach in chapel. Uh, what a privilege it is to be uh, on this faculty with such a wonderful group of uh, men and women to serve under this administration. Our church has been going through a series we're calling Mission 555, in which we're, we're talking about uh, some practical ways that we, the ordinary people can live on mission within the ordinary rhythm of life. Uh, the first five stands for five networks. Um, so we're considering all the networks that we all have, our familial network, our geographical network, our commercial network, our vocational network, and our recreational network. And we're trying to identify five people within each of those networks to do one of five things, to pray for them, to serve them, to invite them, to give gospel-centered literature to them, and to speak the gospel to them. And so we're right in the middle of that series now as a church, and, and it's been really, really cool to hear stories about people who are uh, sharing the gospel uh, and showing the gospel within these networks. And recently we considered Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40, and, and every time we have uh, preached a, a text uh, within this series, we've also spotlighted one of our members who is uh, living out or embodying uh, what, we're, what we're teaching as a way of encouraging uh, each other. And so after I read the text, I'm going to ask one of our uh, members to come and, and to do just that, to encourage you with uh, a real-life illustration of Acts chapter 8. So let's read this text and get it before us, and we'll, we'll go from there. Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. There was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that was, he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. And this is God's word. 
Let's pray together. Father, what a remarkable story. What a remarkable God. You, the God of all the earth, leading your children to people and to places that they may share the good news. I pray that this text today would encourage us profoundly and would instruct us practically that we may be witnesses to the ends of the earth. For the glory of Christ we pray. Amen. So Skylar's going to come up here for just a moment and tell you guys about a story he had. Skylar is one of our interns we're sending to Denver soon to plant a church. So if you're interested in Denver, please see Skylar afterwards. Shameless plug for you there, brother. Um, in addition to having a great beard, uh, Skylar is one of our uh, faithful evangelists at, at our church and had a re- uh, recent experience that I think would encourage you. So tell us what happened at a, at a coffee shop near here. Yeah. Um, so I was working last Monday uh, over at a coffee shop and had a guy walk up and ask if he could... Uh, share the tiny little table we were sitting together at. So uh, we, we sat together at this table, and um, a few minutes in, we just sort of talking uh, a little bit, started talking, and um, he shared some of the stresses that were in his life. I had similar ones and, and really seen the Lord provide, so just kind of used it as an opportunity to say, hey, this is, this is what Jesus has done in my life. So what do you think about Jesus? He said, uh, you know, I, I don't know, I'm not against him. Uh, I just have never really learned much about him. He grew up Catholic, but I hadn't really ever read the Bible. So uh, I just said, well, um, uh, what do you think? And he said, well, you know, there was this one time when uh, I opened the Bible up to Psalm 18. He said, I just kind of fell open there. Do you think that might have been God? I don't know. Let's check it out. And so uh, we read Psalm 18. There's kind of these twin themes of judgment and salvation in this psalm. I said, do you know the story of the Bible? She said, no, I've never really never read it. Um, so we just kind of walked in about a minute and a half through the story of, of the Bible and the fact that Jesus was judged in our place to purchase our salvation. Um, he goes, wow, I believe it. <laughs> Really? <laughs> awesome. It's not supposed to happen. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so right there I said, okay, well, if you believe it, what do you, what do you think the response should be? I said, well, I think I should probably surrender everything to him and uh, spend the rest of my life following what he says to do. All right. <laughs> I think you nailed it. <laughs> yeah. You know, so that's, that was a conversation, you know. So now this was right over here, right? Yeah. Coffee shop. Um, and did you, did you ever think about maybe I don't have time for you, man. I'm trying to work. Yes. Well, yeah, yeah. It was it was kind of an inconvenience. Um, the Lord just providentially put this guy there. Huh? Absolutely, man. Absolutely. I, it was the easiest gospel conversation I've ever had with anybody. Um, you know, it's wow. All right. You know, and and so and he left going, man. I want to read the whole Bible. I, it, and I was like, did you ever think you would hear yourself saying that? Because no. <laughs> I just I really want to know everything that Jesus said and did. Like, what well, might be from God? You know. So. so you followed up with him, right? Yeah, yeah, we've, we started reading the Bible together some. Um, he's loving it, man. He's loving it. Uh, we've been going through the book of Mark and, and just seeing God do some cool stuff. Mm. So. That's awesome, brother. Thank you, man. Thank you so much. May the Lord give you many of those op- op- uh, conversations in Denver, and uh, may that encourage you guys as well. Uh, whether you're in a, a coffee shop in uh, Somalia or Wake Forest, perhaps on an airplane sitting next to an individual. I was on a plane recently with a Pakistani first ever trip to America, got to sit by me. Uh, that was an experience as we had some great conversations. Whether you're coaching third base, talking to the opposing team's coach, whether you go to Walmart and talk to the West Africans working in the deli, or whether trick-or-treaters come by your house or you dress up like a football player and trick-or-treat and meet people, God arranges meetings. God puts us in places. How else did we get here today? 
that the God of all the earth is, is working salvation in the midst of the earth. A few days we'll reflect upon a German monk who was pointed to the Bible. And as a result, great things happened. Now, this story reminds us of God's amazing grace, his, his, indeed His saving grace among the nations. It shows us how, how we need a Bible and we need someone to explain the Bible to us. And both of these are gifts. To have a Bible and to have someone explain it to you is a gift from God. Listen to what John Stott, the late pastor, said. The fact is that God has given us two gifts. First, the Scriptures, and secondly, teachers to open up, explain, expound, and apply the Scriptures. It is wonderful to note God's providence in the Ethiopian's life. First, enabling him to obtain a copy of the Isaiah scroll. And then sending Philip to teach him out of it. Indeed, it is a marvelous story of God's providence and God's grace. This is what I would like to do. I just want to go through the story and highlight the details to make sure we're all up to speed, which I'm sure we already are, but we'll do it anyway. And then I just want to draw out three applications for all of us and just talk about how ordinary people can live on mission. So if you have a Bible, go over to Acts chapter 8, verse 1, and just to get the, the broader context, this is a pivotal time in the story of Acts. Uh, Stephen has been martyred. Saul is there in verse 1, approving of his execution. And as a result of the persecution, we read in Acts chapter 8, verse 4, that people were scattered. They went about preaching the word. Now, this was everyone, he says, but the apostles. So these were the ordinary Christians who went about preaching the word because every Christian preaches. Maybe not in a pulpit, maybe not in the office of a pastor, but everybody is called to go about gossiping the gospel, heralding the good news. They went about preaching the word. Philip was one of those. Philip goes to Samaria. Now, this is significant because we know from Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we basically have the table of contents of the book of Acts, where we have the, the geographical regions that the apostles and, and uh, Christians are going to, to enter into. So he says you're going to be a witness in Jerusalem, and that's basically where the first uh, seven chapters or so take place. And then you're going to go to Samaria, and then you're going to go to the ends of the earth. Now, the Greeks and Romans thought that Ethiopia was literally the end of the earth. Uh, now we, we recognize what they, were, they called Ethiopia. We will look at today as more, more northern than current Ethiopia, but still it was Africa, northern Africa. And so we see the gospel going across these regions, God using persecution to get the gospel to these regions, and then God by his spirit leading Philip, this guy who we first read about in Acts chapter 6, who was along with Stephen, uh, one of these early recognized servants in the church that was caring for widows. So these two men in particular play a very key role in the book of Acts. And so Philip now has been in Samaria. And this was a place, of course, where there was great hostility, some thousand years of hostility between Jews and Samaritans. And Philip goes into Samaria and he preaches and he basically has a revival. And then out of nowhere, he gets a word from the Lord in verse 26 and says, you should go from Jerusalem to Gaza. You need to go some 60 miles to the last watering hole from from, uh, 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 from Jerusalem to Egypt. You had to stop there at Gaza. Now, I love the fact that he's not told what he's going to do or what he's even going to say. He's sort of like Abraham. Go. This really shows us, I think, that half the job in evangelism is showing up. Just being there. Uh, the other half is opening up. Opening your mouth. That's what Philip did. He showed up. He opened up. And God opened this man's heart and he believed. One sure way to never be a good evangelist is never be around people. So if you don't want to do anything for the kingdom, be isolated. 
Philip is told to go. And so he goes. We love that. Now we meet this Ethiopian. I love this story. Now I have an Ethiopian son. I have real reason to love this story. He says he wants to be a pastor. First he wants to work at Dairy Queen. I'm, I'm very proud of him. I think he's, he's chosen wisely. Uh, and I grabbed him by the head on Sunday night and I said, you need to believe in Jesus like this Ethiopian. And my sister has, uh, has five Ethiopian children. She's adopted. We have a whole slew of Ethiopians in our family. So I really love this story. And let's, we, we meet this guy here right in verse 27. He's a eunuch. Now, you might not be an Ethiopian and you might not be a eunuch. This has great application for us. <laughs> he could have been celibate or he could have been impotent. Um, it doesn't really matter. He is an official. Uh, many eunuchs were told uh, guarded and influential women. As I suppose they were safe. And so that's the case here. He's taking care of this queen. So you got to, to picture this entourage going from Jerusalem down to Egypt. Right? Going all the way down this, this trek. Today it would be like limos, suburbans. And you got this Ethiopian. He's coming back from Jerusalem. He's a very influential guy. Now, a eunuch is significant because they, they couldn't enter the. The, the inner courts of the temple. And you just imagine that God is preparing this guy. He's searching. He's dissatisfied. He can't find it in, in, in Judaism. He can't enter in. Something is preventing him. He's, he's got this strike against him. Now, the, the fact that he's reading Isaiah is also significant because not only does Isaiah tell as much about Jesus, but... Isaiah gives great hope to eunuchs. In Isaiah 56, uh, we're told that eunuchs are, are, are told that they're going to have something better than sons and daughters. God is going to bring them in. And so, verse 30, we see that, that as he's rolling down in his, his uh, chariot, the Spirit says to Philip, go join the chariot. So still, Philip doesn't know what to do. He's just told to go join the chariot. So he does. And he hears him reading Isaiah the prophet. Now, where did he get a copy of Isaiah? I have no idea. Maybe it was like a Nine Marks conference where Mark Devers handing books out to everybody. Uh, you know, it's sort of like, hey, on your way home, grab a copy of Isaiah will you? And, and read it as you, as you travel home. Don't know how you got a scroll, but you can imagine this Ethiopian guy with this huge scroll in a chariot. This is fascinating, isn't it? And he's reading it, and he has a question. First, Philip has a question. Do you understand what you're reading? We'll come back to that in a moment. Then, the eunuch has a question. How can I? You ever talk to an unbeliever and they don't know which side of the Bible to open up? That was probably you at one time. What's your favorite verse? I have no idea. I like the maps. They're really cool. How, how can I possibly understand this book unless someone explain it? So you need a Bible. You need someone to explain the Bible to you. How am I supposed to make sense of this? It's a really good question. It's a really good question. And fortunately for Philip, he's at least reading Isaiah 53. Not Leviticus or some story in Judges <laughs> where a left-handed guy stabs a big fat guy. Hey, try to get to Jesus from that story. That, that's, that, that's a challenge. 
Isaiah 53, hopefully we can work with this one. You know what I'm saying? So it was almost a softball as he's, he's asking him. I can't understand this, this, uh, uh, this, this text. And so Philip does that. So we, we read the text. Luke has told us here what he's reading. And so it's Isaiah 53, 7 and 8. Jesus is the Lamb of God slain uh, for the sin of the world. He received no justice. He was falsely accused. He's the suffering servant who's become our great Savior. And the eunuch has another question. Who is this prophet talking about? So a further question. Is he talking about himself? Is he talking about someone else? And notice how Philip answers in verse 35. He opens his mouth, beginning with the Scripture, and he told him the good news about Jesus. So we see this divine message that precedes this divine miracle of conversion. So he tells him the good news about Jesus. You notice here, Philip doesn't tell him a bunch of stories. Philip doesn't even tell him, Luke says at least, you know, his own conversion story. He tells him the facts about Jesus from the Bible. And as they were going along the road, the eunuch wants to be baptized. So he says, here's water. What's preventing me from being baptized? Practically, it was very important for him to be baptized because there were no converts in Africa. Who's going to baptize him when he gets home? Unless it would be like some Robert Duvall in uh, The Apostle who baptized himself. I don't, he, he needs to be baptized. We know from Pentecost there were some from all the, the nations of the earth. But, but this was very important and he believed. And there was nothing preventing him from being baptized. All the barriers had been broken down. And so they go down into the water and he gets baptized by immersion. Emphasis on immersion. Now, uh, then the Spirit carries Philip away, and everybody's happy. And Philip goes away to Azotus. Now, the last time we hear of Philip, just a historical note, is in Acts chapter 21. In Acts chapter 21, uh, verse 8, Philip goes from Jerusalem to Gaza, back up the coast to Syria, uh, Caesarea rather. And in Caesarea, we see that uh, Luke writes, On the next day we departed, came to Caesarea, we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and we stayed with him. So Luke is hanging out with Philip, and... He had, incidentally, four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Very interesting family. Perhaps Luke got his story of Acts 8 there while staying in Caesarea. Philip, I'm writing a couple books. Do you have any stories? I've got a real good one about an Ethiopian. You won't believe it. Um, and so we don't know. It's not vital to our, uh, the text and story today, but it is possible. Now, you can just imagine this Ethiopian eunuch. He wakes up in the morning and he says, all right, it's been a good conference. I've been to Jerusalem. It's time to go home. Next stop, Ethiopia. Not quite. Before you get home, you're going to be baptized. Isn't that remarkable? How God just reorients our life, orchestrates meetings. Before you get home, you're going to meet this little Jewish guy, this little Jewish Christian, little George Costanza. You're going to meet this little, little guy. I picture Denzel getting baptized. Condoleezza Rice is there, and she's the queen. That's my movie as I'm making it up. Before you get home, Costanza's baptizing Denzel. You can't make this stuff up. This is fantastic. Now, before I get to the application, there are two interesting cross-references as you read this story. One is from Luke 24. After Jesus resurrects, you remember he met some people on a road. And they didn't understand the Scriptures. And what does Luke tell us? Well, Luke tells us 
That, that Jesus did what Philip did about basically, that he opened up the Scriptures, beginning with the Scriptures, and he, and he told them all the things concerning himself. Philip is continuing the ministry of Jesus, which we also are continuing, of opening up the Bible to everybody we meet on the road, at Walmart, overseas, wherever it is, pointing people to Jesus from the Scriptures. This is also a wonderful illustration of the Great Commission, isn't it? Go into all the nations. Here we have the ends of the earth. Baptize them. Here we have baptism. Teach them. Here we have teaching. And I'm with you always. And here we have the Spirit of God leading Philip. It's a great illustration of the Great Commission. Now let me just give you three basic applications that are quite obvious. But I'll just be Captain Obvious today. The first one is this. Love people with God-centered love. If you want to live on mission... You need to learn to love like Philip. Philip has a heart that reflects the very heart of God. I mean, think about it. In Acts chapter 6, he's caring for widows. He's serving tables. Not a very sensational job, is it? But there's a great leadership lesson in there, I think. Those who are gladly doing the menial things are often brought up into positions of greater influence. He loves widows. Why? Because God does. His heart, you see, reflects the very heart of God. He, he reflects the attitude of Jesus, who was a servant. That's what made he and Stephen great. Stephen, being persecuted, says, Father, forgive them, just like Jesus. So to be a great missionary, what do you need? You need a big heart. You need a heart for people. His, his love for people includes not just the widows, but it includes Samaritans, these who were considered half-breeds and heretics. He, he, he crosses the barriers that, that society had put upon uh, these groups, and he loves them with a big heart. The same is true for the Ethiopians. Here he is gladly loving this, this individual from the end of the earth. And don't you love how God brought the Ethiopian to him? It's a lot like Raleigh today. Sixty-five people per day moving into RDU, nine of them from different countries. It's remarkable. Tonight at our church building, we're having a special meeting about Ebola, which we've invited a healthcare professional to speak, and we've invited a bunch of West Africans to join us. Because God has blessed us all around this area with hundreds of West Africans. And do you love them? Do you care for them? You see Philip here caring for the widow. You see him caring for those of different race, different economic backgrounds. In verse 40 of chapter 8, he's going through the villages. So it's not just the cities that he's concerned about. He's also going to the villages. He's going to Bun. He's going to Dun. He's going to Pumpkin Run. (laughs) Now you see him also illustrating a great heart for people in the fact that he cares about one person, not just a crowd. I've met guys before who are great in front of people, but they don't really give a rip about a person. They're terrible off a stage. But those who are effective at reaching the many are concerned with reaching the one. That's what made the early church great. In Acts chapter 3, you see this is another example. After Peter preaches at Pentecost, 3,000 are saved. Pretty good day. And then all of a sudden, there's a lame beggar that they care for. This is what made the early church great. They they believe Jesus' words. There's great joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Right? Those who are effective at reaching the many are concerned with reaching the one. 
Philip could have said many things, but because of his love for God, out of obedience he went. He loved Jews, Samaritans, Gentiles, white people, black people. It made no difference. And notice also just the way he loved this man. He was very respectful to this man. He didn't launch a grenade at him. You should understand this, man. No. He engages in a very respectful dialogue with him. There's real compassion here. He's not like Jonah, the reluctant prophet. Go to the Ninevites. Philip is the opposite of this guy. I don't want to go to Nineveh. They like NASCAR. (laughs) They listen to country music. They think wrestling is real. (laughs) They talk about Chick-fil-A every day. You know, (laughs) I'm getting on your nerves, aren't I? No, no prejudice here. Just a big heart reflecting God's heart. So the question is, how can you grow in your love for people? If we would admit, we we really struggle sometimes crossing these barriers. I think Philip understood the gospel. That's how you grow in your love for people, not by looking at sad pictures. When you realize the fact that you were unlovable and God came and loved you. What on earth are we doing here? Why did we get the gospel? We were this Ethiopian. We were the outsiders. Had nothing to commend to God. And yet, for his, because of His mercy, somebody taught us the Bible and we believed. When you realize you don't deserve this gospel and the gospel works itself deep into your heart, you gladly love all sorts of people. So let's get the gospel. So application number one, love, God with a, love people with a God-centered love. Second application, be led by the Spirit. This whole story really just illustrates the work of the Spirit. Uh, I mean, it shouldn't surprise the whole book of Acts is about this. Acts 1.8, you're going to be witnesses because the Spirit's going to empower you to do this. Acts 6, Philip and Stephen are selected, and they're noted as being full of the Spirit. So what does it look like to be full of the Spirit? Here's an example. Philip is, is led by the Spirit to this individual. We have several occasions of this in the book of Acts where situations happen... People go different places, and it was basically uh, unexplainable. Like, uh, it's, it's not conventional wisdom, but God is leading this man. Now, what does this look like today? It could look like a number of things. I was encouraged a long time ago when Bill Hybel shared a story in one of his books about sharing the gospel. Uh, he has to take his trash out on Tuesday nights, like a lot of husbands. And he was in Chicago. It was in the winter. It was very cold, so he had planned to just run out real quick, put the trash can on the curb, and go back in the house. He didn't even put shoes on. So he's tiptoeing out through the cul-de-sac, and he puts his trash can out, and he sees his new neighbor across the street. He hasn't introduced himself to his neighbor, and his conscience was provoked. I should go over and meet this guy. And he said, I started negotiating with God. It's cold, God. My toes are freezing off. I'm sure he's cold, too. I'll do it another time. But that didn't help. He pivoted, went over, and put his hand out, told the guy, hi, I'm, it's nice to meet you, I'm, I'm Bill Hybels, welcome to the neighborhood, and the guy says, it's nice to meet you, I own a new car dealership, and they pivoted and went their own way. And Hybels said, amazingly enough, pretty much every Tuesday night for a whole year, we took our trash out at the same time. We started having these trash can conversations, and the conversations got deeper and deeper and deeper, and they eventually became very, very close friends. Hybels learned that this man was not a Christian. This man learned that Hybels was a pastor, and eventually Hybels led him and his whole family to Christ. Is there a cul-de-sac that, that you need to cross? A neighborhood you need to walk up and down prayerfully, 
a hall at your workplace you need to cross. You see, a missional church is made up of Phillips. Ordinary people being led by the Spirit. Think about what Philip could have said. There's a lot of excuses he could have used. Not now, Lord. Look at what's happening in Samaria. We'll get to the desert later. You ever use that excuse? Not now. I'm in seminary. Not now. This is a parenthesis on my life. It's not really the real life. I'm waiting on the real life. No, this is life. Do it now. Or, not me, Lord, send someone else. Why don't you send one of the apostles who are up in Jerusalem? Or perhaps he could have said, not there, Lord. Anywhere but there. I'm not going to a Big Ten conference location. No way am I going there, Lord. You see, God's ways are not our ways, right? His thoughts are not our thoughts. Now, when you talk about being led by the Spirit, and you see this throughout the story here, a lot of people get nervous. A lot of people use an excuse, well, this is, this is well, one would say this is just the book of Acts. Um, others want to say this is superstition. There's a big difference in superstition and being led by the Spirit. While I, I do want to say you don't need to be the person who thinks God needs to write a person's name in your cereal to go witness to them, right? We're not talking about sensationalism. God has given us a great commission. We're already sent. So we don't need to always anticipate or expect these supernatural orchestrations of of conversations. But we do need to have a category for this, I think. God does lead us to people and to places because we have a living God. This is one of the ways that, that God uses witnesses is through these extraordinary leadings. Now, I want to quote Lloyd-Jones because he's not what one would call charismatic. In the 1900s, famous preacher in Britain, it's what Lloyd-Jones says to us. He says, here again is the most extraordinary subject and indeed a very fascinating one and one from many angles, a most glorious one. There is no question but that God's people can look for and expect leadings, guidance, and indications of what they're meant to do. There are many examples of this in the scriptures, and I take one at random. You remember the story in Acts 8:26 of how Philip the evangelist was told by the angel of the Lord to go to Gaza. Now there are leadings such as that. If you read the history of the saints, God's people throughout the centuries, and especially the history of revivals, you will find that this is something which is perfectly clear and definite. Men have been told by the Holy Spirit to do something. They knew it was the Holy Spirit speaking to them, and it transpired that it obviously was His leading. It seems clear to me that if we deny such a possibility, we are again guilty of quenching the Spirit. So I just want to encourage you, my friends, to wake up daily and say, Lord, who do you have for me today? What do you have for me today? Make me sensitive to your promptings, to your leadings. Give me an Ethiopian, if you will. So be led by the Spirit. Third application, finally, I wrap it up here. Lead people to Jesus from the Scriptures. Lead people to Jesus from the Scriptures. Now, some who are all about being Spirit-led, unfortunately, never have a Bible open. Some who are all about the Bible live as if the Holy Spirit doesn't exist. I love Philip. He has both. Led by the Spirit and a great knowledge of the Bible. Don't you want to be like that? Lord, I want to be so familiar with your text 
I can lead people to Jesus from the Bible and I want to be so in step with your spirit that, that I'm walking with you. So the first obvious application here under this point is that you need to understand the Bible. Like, so that's why you're here, and that's a good thing, getting, getting prepared. Now, there's a conversation that gets started in verse 30 that I think is very instructive for us for personal evangelism. What prompts the conversation, of course, is that Philip hears him reading. Uh, a lot of people read out loud during this, this time period, and, and uh, scholars tell us that people would read out loud because the, the text was hard to read as well. So Philip's hearing this um, guy read, and so he just asks him a question. Now, I just want to put forward to you practically here the use of questions in your evangelism. Use questions. There are four questions in the story. The whole conversation is about questions. Philip asked the first one, and then the Ethiopian asked three to follow. And I think we learn a lot as we just work through this. How many people have been totally undone by a question? Just one question. You don't always have to have the answers, but have a good question. That might be part of the process for this person coming to know Jesus. I tell our people, you don't have to be Google for God to be a witness. Just get in conversations and ask people questions. Provoke their conscience. So his question is very simple. What are you reading? Now, that's a good one in RDU. We have more PhDs per capita than anywhere in the country. And we like to say it a lot. Very proud of it. A lot of people read. So ask them, what are you reading these days? Well, I'm reading, you know, whatever. And don't say, that's stupid. That's a terrible book. Like... We're even commending to our people the use of books, to hand out books. We give free books. We have a book called What is the Gospel? Um, we give away and Bibles we give away. One of our members has been in a conversation at his workplace with someone who's been reading various books, and they've just been in dialogue about these, these secular books that they're reading. And he said, would you read this book, What is the Gospel? Oh, yeah, I'll have a look at it. He's getting into conversation. So that's the first question. second question is, how can I understand this and, unless someone explain it to me? Ian Thomas, pastor, tells a story of being on an airplane one time. He was so tired, he was planning on going to sleep, and he kept hearing, looking in the direction of the sound, he heard a man say, I'm reading in the Bible about Nicodemus in John 3, and I do not understand it. Do you know anything about the Bible? Now, what would you have done in that situation? Would Would you have said, ain't nobody got time for that? I'm trying to sleep. You would have been so shocked you would have wet yourself? That's probably what I've done. Are you serious? You're reading Nicodemus. Let's have a look at it. So picture here this guy with this question. And, and really the question now for us is, are you prepared to answer them? Are you prepared to answer them when they have these questions? And notice here, Philip doesn't have a canned evangelism presentation. Though those are helpful. He just knows the Bible. Every time you study the Bible, you're doing evangelism training. You are preparing yourself to give answers to people. And so Philip, because he knows the text really well and because he's trained, he can do it. Third question, verse 34, who's this prophet speaking about? Well, some thought he was speaking about himself. Some thought he was speaking about the nation of Israel. Still less thought he was speaking about Messiah. This is one of the big themes in Luke Acts the need for a Christian interpreter of the Old Testament. It's a big theme. And Philip illustrates for us the fact that the Scriptures, the Old Testament Scriptures, are able to make us wise through faith in Christ Jesus, as Paul says. 
There's still a lot of people today who fiddle around with the Bible, but they don't know Jesus. They have a verse here and there, like a jigsaw puzzle, pieces of it stuck all over, you know, in their pockets, but they've never seen how the whole thing fits together. They've never looked at the box at the beautiful picture. All they have are are verses here and there. They don't know the story, and Philip shows them. Philip doesn't get into all these crazy theories. Well, you know, there were two Isaiahs. Let me tell you about the JDP theory. He opens the Bible and points the guy to Jesus. And that's what we need today. We need people who are very familiar with the Bible, and they know it well, and they can point people to Jesus. That's the question that should keep every pastor up at night. Am I proclaiming Christ to my people? Am I teaching Christ to my people? That should keep them up at night. Well, he closes the deal. The guy wants to be baptized. Interesting, verse 37, this word prevent is the same word used over in chapter uh, 10, verse 47, regarding Cornelius. There is nothing here to prevent them from being baptized, the Gentiles. And it's the very last word in the book of Acts as Paul is preaching. We see that the gospel was being taught without hindrance. This shows us here that the barriers had been broken. This eunuch, he couldn't become a Jew, but he could become a Christian. Nothing is hindered. And perhaps you just waddled in here today. You're not a Christian. We're glad you're here. Everything has been accomplished, my friend. There are no barriers. You can believe on Christ and be saved. Just like this man. Perhaps they sang Psalm 68:31 when this was all over. Envoys will come out of Egypt. Ethiopia will quickly stretch out her hands to God. Here goes this man to Ethiopia a member of the church. Paul Hill, I'll finish, says, It was a radical step for a Jew, even a Hellenist Jew like Philip, to cross boundaries and share the gospel. Still, Philip was not the radical. The Spirit was the radical. Philip's openness to the Spirit's leading enabled this major progress toward fulfilling Christ's commission for a worldwide gospel. The Spirit of God at work in the people of God to bring people to the knowledge of the Son of God for the glory of God. So, again, if you're not a Christian, are you interested in the Bible? If so, that's a good sign. Because most of the people we meet, they're not interested. That's a real evidence of grace in your life. Let me encourage you, if you have questions, to keep asking the questions. Keep searching these things. If you are a Christian today, let me ask you some questions. Do you love people with God's love? Do you love people like this? Are you respectful to those who disagree with you, who don't have all the answers? Can you take time with them and be patient with them? Are you walking by the Spirit? Are you prepared to give an answer? Are you anticipating encounters today with people? When was the last time you had a gospel conversation? Gary Player, the South African golfer, was irritated by people who continued to tell him, "Uh, you're just winning these games because you're getting lucky. You got lucky today. Player eventually responded, you know, the funny thing is the more I practice, the luckier I get. You know, that's true spiritually as well. The more you practice that evangelism, the more people you're likely baptize. So let's learn from Philip. Let's be faithful. May the Lord fill us with His Spirit. May He fill us with compassion. May He fill us with the Gospel. May He use us for His glory. 
Father, we bow before You today. We thank You for this story. We pray that it would enliven us today. What a great story. Embedded upon our hearts, write it upon our hearts today as we go about within the ordinary day-to-day routine that we have. We recognize that You are the sovereign God over all the earth. You lead Your children by the Spirit. And You're bringing together a people from every tribe and tongue to worship Messiah. Use us, Lord, right here in this area filled with people from all nations. Send us, Lord, to all nations. All of it for Christ's sake we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We covet your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.